have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and open it to Mark chapter 14. We have just a few weeks left in Mark. Um, and then we will be jumping into uh, the book of Micah, the Old Testament book of Micah, during the Advent season. It'll be a little bit longer than the Advent season, but we'll still be in it through that, through that time. Uh, and then we'll go into the book of Genesis after that. The first 11 chapters of Genesis will hit during the winter spring time. Uh, as well. So so some stuff to look forward to. If you're unfamiliar with or if you're new to Christ the King Church, that's what we typically do is we walk through books of the Bible um, called expository preaching. And so we take we take a passage and just kind of walk through it verse by verse. Um, you're not going to get uh, much for topical preaching here. Occasionally we'll do that, but but not often. So typically we'll just walk through book, books of the Bible. And so that's what we have coming up. So, but today we're still in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, and we're going to look at verses 27 through 52 this morning. And I'll read those verses for us. This is God's Word. And when they had sung a hymn and they went out to the Mount of Olives, Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even, even, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that it prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he again and again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve. And with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, 
Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen, linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. This is God's word. It's entirely true, and it's given to us in love. Let's pray again. Father, thank you uh, for the truth of your word. Thank you for uh, leading us up to this moment where we are um, able to walk through yet again the the passion of Jesus. And I pray, because I know a lot of us have heard this story uh, um, many, many times in our lifetime. And so I pray that this this part of your gospel, this part of Jesus' walk to the cross would not fall on deaf ears that we would not uh, just assume that we know this story so well that we don't need to listen or that it doesn't apply to us. God, I pray that you would open our eyes, open our minds, open our ears to behold wonderful truths in Jesus' passion. So God, we pray that you would give us attentive hearts this day, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've been reading this uh, this great little book by Orlando Sayer titled Big God. I, I highly recommend it. But early in this book, he, he helpfully explains uh, what we must understand um, concerning God's will for our life. And so he says that we have to understand God's will in two ways. First, he says there is God's ideal. So from the very beginning, God's will for the world was perfect peace between himself and his creation. That was his ideal. But because of sin, our abuse of of the free will that God has given to us, God's ideal now can be defied. Sayer writes this in his book, God's ideal will is about what should be in the world and what will be in the new creation. So what should be and what will be in the new creation. So so now we are living in that in-between of what should be and what will be in the new creation. And although these next few illustrations will be imperfect, we can still see glimpses of God's ideal right now. The the kind of the the already and not yet reality. So we see his ideal in a marriage that lasts. We see God's ideal in how we treat the poor. Proverbs 14.31 says we should treat the poor in this way. We see uh, God's ideal in the denial of ourself to follow Christ. We do it imperfectly, but we, we still strive to do that. We see God's ideal in uh, our holiness in our conduct. And then practicing the fruits of the Spirit. Those are ways in which we can see God's ideal world taking place right now. But the second way we need to understand God's will is in God's plan. This means that there are now things in God's plan that may not necessarily sit well with you or even make sense to you. But God is using all of those things, both great and small, uh, hard and easy, to bring about his purposes in this world and in your life. 
Sayer writes again, so God's plan will is exhaustive and it's unstoppable. It's gritty and real. Where God's ideal will is all about what should be, God's plan will is about what was, what is, and what will be. So in our text today, we see this exact idea playing out in three wills at work in the text that all culminates in the will of God. Or should should say two wills at work that culminate in the will of God. And all of these wills are thrusting us into something that may not sit well with us or even make sense to us. And that is the loneliness of Jesus. So I want to frame our time around these three wills. First, we have the disciples' will. Second, we have Jesus' will. And then third, we have God's will. So the disciples' will, Jesus' will, and God's will. First, the disciples' will. Verses 27 through 31 are an interesting addition to Mark's gospel, and we, we kind of know a little bit about how Mark is writing since we've uh, been in this, this study for over a year. But when you understand that what Mark is doing here, by inserting these particular verses, because the, the flow of the narrative would still make sense if you did not have these verses inserted. So if you were just to jump from verse 26 to verse 32, we'd read like this. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives and they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. The text still makes sense. You you wouldn't be any wiser knowing that those words were taken out or anything. But so Mark, we know, is inserting these verses to make us aware that Jesus knew Everything, everything that lay ahead for him. So Jesus knows his disciples are going to desert him at his greatest hour of need. It's prophesied in the scriptures that they will do so. Uh, We read from Zechariah 13 earlier, and Jesus quotes here verse 7 of Zechariah 13 when he says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And just a side note there, that I is God. God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. So this is not like the vagueness of Jesus' accusation in verses 17 through 19. Uh, If you remember that from last week, when Jesus doesn't name names, when he talks about one who will betray him, here in verse 27, Jesus is very direct. He is very specific when he says, you will all fall away. Every one of you. You will all fall away. So let's look at what this means for a bit, because I think it's important for our own growth in the gospel. Because Jesus wasn't referring to the disciples slipping off into hiding to wait for things to blow over. Jesus didn't say, you know, Uh, I want you just to kind of lay low for a bit. I want you to go into hiding and these things will blow over and then we will be reunited. When we look at the phrase fall away in the Greek, we see that it means just to give you the wooden translation here to put a stumbling block in the way upon which another may trip 
and fall. So essentially, what Jesus is saying to his disciples, what Jesus is saying to the 12 men who are closest to him that have seen everything that he has done, they've experienced every miracle They've seen Jesus uh, uh, heal people. They've seen Jesus raise people from the dead. They've seen Jesus uh, teach in this unique way where people's minds are blown. And this is what he says to them. When the time arises, you will see me as a stumbling block to your life. Now this is significant when you think about how this phrase stumbling block is used in the Bible. And I won't go into every single one of these uh, descriptions, and I'll just point to one in how Paul uses it in Romans chapter 9, verse 33. And he's referring back to Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. And Paul writes, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, speaking about Jesus, and a rock of of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So Paul is saying, whoever believes in this stone of stumbling, whoever believes in this rock of offense, whoever believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. So what we see happening here in Mark 14 is Jesus saying to his disciples, At my hour of greatest need, you will walk away from me in unbelief. At that moment, when Jesus needs uh, these men the most, they will not believe in him any longer. Or at least in that moment. You will be ashamed of me and offended by me. And you will leave me. Now, the disciples' response is not humility. So we, we saw their humility in, 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 in verse uh, 19 last week uh, when Mark writes, They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? They all knew their capability of, of betraying Jesus, but not here. Not here. Maybe, maybe, maybe they, they understood that it wasn't going to be them. Maybe they've, they've come off of this, uh, this Passover celebration and, and maybe they're feeling a little bit uh, more uh, light uh, in their step and they're not as worried or concerned. I don't know what's going on here, but they don't respond in humility. No, their response, we could say, is unbelief. Look at verses 29 through 31. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. They don't believe a word that Jesus is saying to them. Peter essentially is saying, this is, this is not true. Just like when Peter tells him that he will not die, and, and, and Jesus has to tell him, get behind me, Satan. They don't believe a word that Jesus is saying because their will doesn't line up with God's will. 
Their will says, I can do this and I will do this and I will prevent these things from happening to you, even if I have to die. I mean, we see that even when his, uh, his, the betrayer has come, the, the men come with, with clubs and, and uh, their handcuffs ready to put Jesus um, in, in those. And we have this one random person who pulls his sword out and cuts an ear off one of the soldiers. This will not happen the way that you are planning it will happen. It's unbelief. Listen to Peter's words again in verse 29. Peter says, even if they all fall away, I will not. Peter says, look, they might do that. They might be weak. Uh, They may not believe in who you are, Jesus, but I will not fall away. To which Jesus responds in detail how and when he will fall away. Before the rooster crows twice this night, you will deny me three times. Not once, not twice, three times in just a couple of hours, Peter, you will deny me. So it's much worse than Peter thought, and he doubles down on his response. And this time he, he brings the others along in this in verse 31. Even if we must die with you, we will not deny you. We will die for our belief in you, Jesus. So let's heed this interaction for a moment to highlight the fact that our will doesn't always line up with God's will either. I would say that's a few and far between, that our will actually matches God's will. And that might be a really difficult pill for you to swallow, depending on what you are currently walking through in your life. So maybe maybe your marriage isn't panning out to be what you dreamed it would be. Maybe your job situation isn't what you expected. Maybe your kids uh, don't end up the way you had hoped. Maybe they're not uh, going to that college that you wanted them to go to or, uh, or, or play that sport that you want them to play and be so good at or make that much money or marry this particular person. Um, maybe you can't have kids. Maybe that's the case. Maybe you're single longer than you think you should be and that terrifies you. Maybe getting older is a lot harder and scarier than you thought. And just maybe your plan for your life has taken a turn you never thought it would. It didn't turn out to be your plan. But I, want us, I don't want us to miss the hope of Jesus' words in verse 28 because the disciples do. Listen to these words that Jesus says. Right after he says, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Jesus says, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Do you realize what Jesus has just said there? 
even in the midst of telling his disciples this distressing news, he told them, you will walk away from me in unbelief. You will deny me. You will act like you don't know me, but I will come back to you. Jesus is saying, even though you will leave me, I will not leave you. So which says to us, the hope of the resurrection allows you to put to death your will and embrace God's will. Even though it might be terrible. Even though you don't like it. Even though it may not make any sense to you. And it probably won't make sense to you. The hope of Jesus' return solidifies the fact that you are exactly where you need to be. Even when your will doesn't match God's or the plan that we hope for. God has you in his sovereignty, in his good providence, in the good and the bad, exactly where he wants you. And Jesus is the one who shows us how to do that in our second point by looking at Jesus' will in verses 32 through 42. Because of their placement between the prophecy of abandonment and its fulfillment, these verses are an indication to us that Jesus had to face his hour of crisis alone. Now, we've all experienced uh, the feeling of loneliness. I think a lot of us uh, experienced it during our, our time of social isolation. You may never have known what uh, loneliness felt like until you were forced to be by yourself um, for several months. In the UK, this happened before social isolation happened because of COVID, but in the UK, the problem of loneliness, they said, is one of the largest health concerns that they face as a nation. So much so that they uh, created a department of government to address just loneliness. They have a minister of loneliness in the UK. So here are some stats about loneliness. Three in five U.S. adults describe themselves as lonely. So that would be some of you here. Loneliness is likely to increase, increase your risk of death by 26%. Loneliness is worse for you than obesity. Loneliness with severe depression is associated with early mortality, and loneliness is a risk factor for depression in later life. And then loneliness and social isolation put individuals at greater risk of cognitive decline and dementia. So needless to say, loneliness is a terrible state in and of itself. And for some of you, I know because you've told me loneliness is something that you fear. And rightly so when you read statistics like that. When you see how loneliness can affect you uh, physically and mentally even. But the loneliness that Jesus is entering into in his passion is uh, what we experience and then some. 
Jesus can identify with our loneliness, but we cannot identify with the loneliness that Jesus takes on because he is the one who takes it on for us. Because Jesus not only experiences this separation from his friends and his followers, he experiences a separation, or you could say an exclusion, from God his Father. You and I don't have to experience that. But Jesus did. We hear it in Mark's description of Jesus' emotional state in verse 33. When Mark writes, And he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Greatly distressed could be, and I think should be in my opinion, translated terrified. Which lets us know the depths of Christ's sufferings. That even Jesus, both fully God and fully man, was terrified of the sufferings that he was entering into. And it began with abandonment by everyone in his life. That he was going to feel every piece of God's wrath, including being forsaken by God. In verse 34, Jesus expresses this in his own words to his disciples by saying, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. And you could translate that as Jesus saying, I am so sad that I could die. Just from sadness. This is why three times in the garden he prays for the cup to be taken from him. The cup being signifies uh, God's wrath on human evil. Divine justice being poured out on the injustice of the world. In verse 41, Jesus says, It is enough, the hour has come. So Jesus is fully aware that his mission uh, involved submission to this horror of God's wrath. The will of Jesus now fully grasped the supernaturally lofty and sacred will of God, which was to have the full cup of God's wrath poured out upon him. Which is our final point, because the will of Jesus is the will of God, just in case you were confused by that. Jesus' will lines up perfectly with the will of God. So almost as soon as Jesus speaks the words he speaks in verse 41, things are set in motion. It's almost like Jesus is pulling the trigger here. The betrayer is betraying. Judas is at the door. That The shepherd is being struck. The sheep are scattering. Zechariah 13 is coming into fruition right before their eyes. And now Jesus is being forsaken by his heavenly Father because the only way that these men can put Jesus in chains is if, is if God the Father allows it. It's the only way. And so at his hour of greatest need, Jesus is completely alone. Abandoned by the crowds, which only a day or so before were shouting, Hosanna in the highest. Here is the coming king. The kingdom of David will be established. And they're celebrating him. Where are the crowds? 
He's abandoned by the disciples who only hours before said emphatically, we will not deny you. We won't do it. Even if we have to die, we won't deny you. But verse 50 through 52 says, all left him and fled. One so desperate to get away that, that, when, he is, when, that when he is grabbed by the officials that are around Jesus, that he rips out of his clothes and runs away naked, completely. He is so ashamed and so fearful. Now you need to see that despite all of this, Jesus' desire is, it stays fixed upon the will of God. He never wavers from it. He resolutely refused to set his will in opposition to the will of his Father. He even says in verse 49, Let the Scriptures be fulfilled. Why? Why does he do that? Jesus is in this terrible state, not because of anything that he has done, but because of your sin and my sin. And what does sin do? We all know because we all sin. Sin isolates us, doesn't it? It isolates us from community. It isolates us from those closest to you. And most devastatingly, it isolates you from God. Remember King David's prayer in Psalm 51? If you're familiar with King David, King David prays this prayer after, after he's done everything in his life. Um, he's had all of these great accomplishments. He's, he's entered in even into, into sin, uh, the, the sin of adultery, the sin of murder, the sin of betrayal. And, and, and David prays to God against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, we all know David did not just just sin against God. He sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Bathsheba's husband. He murdered him. And, and, and he sins even against his entire kingdom. He, he betrays them as their leader, but he recognizes that while all of that is true, and he is guilty of all of that, his ultimate offense is against God. And the same is true for you. Your ultimate offense is against God. Whether you've been walking with God for a long time or you're investigating the claims of Christianity today, your sin is against a holy God. And that sin creates an impossible chasm between you and God. And it's impossible because you cannot cross that chasm on your own. You can't do it. It's impossible. Because there is no way on your own to be reconciled to God. There is no amount of good deeds that you can accomplish. There is no amount of bad deeds that you can stop doing to allow for that to happen. It will never happen. You cannot cross the chasm to God. Your relationship is broken. Your sin has caused that. 
And the only way, the only way that that chasm can be crossed is if God steps in. And that's exactly what he's done in Christ. And this is not a message, if you are a believer in Christ and you are all of a sudden uh, imagining now that Kevin has entered into the altar call time and that you can just kind of check out, do not do that. You need the message of the gospel just as much as that person who is investigating Christianity uh, does in in this place. You need to hear that your sin today still separates you from God. And that you cannot get back to him on your own. You need Jesus every day to step in. And this is exactly what God has done for you. You see, the loneliness and the abandonment and the betrayal that Jesus experiences are all on your behalf. Jesus submits himself to the will of God's wrath for you so that you can be and will remain reconciled to God. Amen. Let me pray. Father, it is, it is hard to understand that, uh, that you would um, do something in, in, our, in our own human opinion, I think, if we were to all admit it, uh, so foolish. So foolish to, to, to go after a people who, who hate you. Who, who, are, who are blatant enemies of you, and that you would still send your only son into the world so that uh, haters and enemies of you might be uh, reconciled back to you. That makes no sense to our uh, human minds. But you did it anyways. While we were yet sinners, Christ died. And so, God, I pray that even as we walk through the sufferings of our life, whether um, the plans of our life uh, are, are not going the way in which we wanted them to, and we fight so hard against that, and we shake our fist at you because we think we know what's best, God, help us uh, not to be like the disciples where we just double down and say, we're going to do this, we're, we're, we're not going to allow this to happen, we're going to force this to happen, and to just submit ourselves to your will for our lives. To allow the gospel to uh, refresh us, to allow the gospel to, to speak into those areas where we have trouble believing you. And even for my friends here today who, who may be here in the room or, or listening uh, on Facebook or YouTube, God, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. That they would understand, even just in a small way, the depths of your love for your creation. That you would do something uh, so out of the ordinary to save us to bring us peace so let that be what carries us through our week the gospel of jesus christ and we pray in his name amen